This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Dawson Tire and Wheel, the premier ag tire and wheel provider in North America. Get a grip. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving Iron Podcast number 107. My guest on this episode is Rich Pawson. He's a repeat guest, and uh, I love having him on here. He's uh, really dialed into what's going on in the economy, and he, he really has a has a strong understanding of, of uh, what's going on out there and what's driving the marketplace. So, Rich, welcome back to the show. Thank you. All right, Rich. Um, a lot of stuff going on right now. Here it is, uh, the tail end of, of uh, October here. Um, China has pretty much said we're done. We're not coming back to the table. Uh, we're kind of over the trademark, the whole trade war thing, and uh, we are we are good with uh, the current conditions that we're that we're seeing right now. And um, I'm obviously paraphrasing there, but um, the stock market uh, in the last three or four days has been, well, actually the last couple of weeks has been massive losses and massive gains. So there's a lot of volatility there. Um, the Wall Street Journal I was reading here this morning. There was a report out that came out that said the GDP was at three and a half percent. And uh, let me get that exact quote here. Um, the U.S. economy grew at three and a half percent rate in third quarter, but warning signs such as modest rise in business investment are emerging. Right? Um, I, I think that there's. There's a lot of volatility going on right now. Interest rates, you know, there's some talk with the Fed and what they're doing um, about possibly slowing down some interest rates because inflation hasn't been as great as they as they had anticipated. So, you know, I threw a lot of stuff out there. But what's your opinion of, of what's going on out there, Rich? And, and how do you see things shaping up? Yeah, let's let's start with uh, China first. Um, uh, probably a month or a month and a half ago, I started getting this uneasy feeling that, yeah, this trade war could last all the way through next year even. And, uh, uh, yeah, I was hopeful they were going to get so tight on soybeans that they would at least change their mind on soybeans. But the problem is you got Brazil ready to produce another great crop. So, uh, and I feel I feel like the Chinese officials, the government that is, believes that their people can eat less if they have to. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not so sure how that will work out for them because the Chinese people are upset just as we are upset. Um, so, you know, on the food side, uh, this could last a while. And then when you look at some of the other factors, uh, like this technology theft, that could loss last a lot longer. And today, even the government come out, the U.S. government come out and said uh, they're not interested in doing any trade talks uh, with China unless China comes to the table with a plan of uh, how to uh, work at resolving this uh, technology theft issue. And I, and I think on the, on the show last time I mentioned that was probably going to move to number one or the priority uh, task. Uh, if it wasn't there already, and, and now it's looking like that's just what's going on is that's become the number one thing. And uh, it's just some of my sources are saying, boy, that is such a sticky issue. That, uh, this could be a fight for quite some time. So we have to be concerned of that. Uh, in September, China sold $7.7 billion in U.S. Treasury uh, notes. 
that's not really a big amount since they own over a, a trillion. But the thing is, China really normally is a buyer. So it upset the market a little bit. Uh, the, there might be a little warning there that China's saying, you know what, we can uh, we can sell these treasuries and uh, we'll take them. We'll take the cash. Thank you. And so when they did this, it basically raised dollars and they converted the dollars into their currency, into their yuan. And a lot of people are just saying, you know what, that gives them a war chest to uh, stimulate their economy. And over this past weekend, they come out saying they're going to stimulate the economy. They're going to help out on an economy. Now, most of what they said is really long term. It could take quite a while to help their economy. But at least it sends a message that they're saying we're going to try to put the brakes on, that they wanted their economy to cool off a bit. And now they're just saying we're going to apply the brakes to make sure it doesn't cool off too much, that it doesn't get away from us. And what they're really saying is we're ready to hunker down on this trade war is what I think they're doing. Um, they have to be a little concerned on their stock market because it's down 21% for the year. But uh, it is interesting when they came out with that stimulative talk over the weekend, uh, their stock market turned stable this week when ours just kept going down. So, um, but, you know, so I feel like their stock markets actually could possibly be a decent value. Uh, maybe they can find some stability. But if the trade war continues on, uh, then I'd get nervous. All these markets are, are going lower over, you know, around the world, at least in the equity markets. Um, I've said over the past several months, it's bothered me that all year long, Europe has not done well in the stock market. Um, their manufacturing indicators have uh, been working lower. They're still positive, meaning it's still economic growth, but it's getting low enough where you have to worry, is, is it going to cross into negative territory where their economy starts backtracking? And then in Asia, same story. We've got some indicators that aren't doing that well, and then stock markets that uh, are also not doing that well. So there's definitely some issues there uh, around the world here, and I think the U.S. stock market, the reason it's falling now, or at least one reason why it's falling, is they just investors woke up that the U.S. stock market's the only thing that's really going up in the world. Is it possible they don't have it right? And what's what's going to keep making the U.S. stock market go higher when the rest of the world's not getting anywhere? I think it really started worrying over the trade war and over these rising interest rates. So the interesting thing is when you look at interest rates, in September, the U.S. 10-year Treasury note went from 2.9% to 3.1%. Well, that doesn't sound like much of a change. It's only two-tenths of, of a percentage point. But really, if you look at the percent of that change, that's a 7% increase. So it really is kind of significant to the people who are living and breathing interest rates, the debt market professionals managing this money. That was a significant change. It was You look on a chart, it was an actual surge, okay, a jump, and it just caught their attention. And the point is that occurred at the same time that China was selling our treasuries. And when you sell it, sell that, somebody's got to buy it. And if there's nobody willing to buy it at that price, the bottom line is you raise the interest rate to attract them. Uh, so we, we just had China piling on top of our own interest rate increase from our Fed, as well as our own investors also lightening up on some of this debt. And it all just came together to, to push those rates higher. Uh, to give you another example why people get excited over a little change in interest rates is when interest rates go higher, the value of the bond goes lower and it goes lower at a much faster pace than the rise in interest rates. So an example, as I just said, interest rates rose two tenths of a, of a percentage point. Well, 
if you look at the bond price itself, it fell 2.3%. So a dramatic difference, a little bit increase in interest rate, big decrease in the bond value. So, you know, these funds and, and the wealthy people who invest a lot in these bonds as a form of security, uh, they suddenly are waking up the fact they could lose a lot on the value of the bond, even though they'll still get their interest rate. Um, they, they just start, you know, they're thinking in terms of, well, maybe this isn't quite a safe investment as I thought. And it would be nice if these, if the U.S. investor getting out of these bonds would immediately put it in the stock market. But the point is the stock market started down on these worries. And so these bond investors or the people taking money out of the bond market just froze in the sense of, well, I'm going to wait and see how far that stock market drops before I put it, reinvest it over into the stock market. So the problem is it's coming out of bonds and going into cash. And so we're not getting any additional demand. And normally how it would work uh, when you come out of a recession is you start working out of your bonds and you work into the stock market and it just helps the market to, to continue further. So a lot of little shakiness here going on in, on the debt side and the, and the interest rate side. Now, um, I want to throw in one last thing on China before we go on with this whole interest rate in, in the U.S. There is some discussion that um, China... Uh, is concerned over Bolsonaro, who is uh, a can presidential candidate in Brazil. And China has invested $124 billion in Brazil since 2003. They do $75 billion a year in trade with Brazil. So it's a very strong connection. Well, the thing is, Bolsonaro, who might be elected as soon as next week, I forget the election dates, uh, is a nationalist. And he has uh, voiced concerns of China buying up too much in China. I'm sorry, in Brazil. So um, there, there is some uh, worries in China as well as some discussion here in the U.S. Of what's that going to do to all this trade stuff that's already going on here, uh, that there could be a little breakdown in that relationship. So we want to keep an eye on that. Uh, we've also seen some discussion that uh, even though this trade war was to help the U.S. auto uh, industry, we're seeing discussion of these global automobile companies talking about actually creating more auto jobs in China just because our our cars are less competitive with these with these uh, tariffs going on. So a little interesting twist, backdraft there. Um, also, the CEO of Smithfield, uh, I think it's the biggest pork producer in the U.S., uh, uh, said that uh, U.S. pork exports are not viable. So uh, we've been hoping to, to get a, an increase in pork exports. And, and again, these tariffs have uh, kind of shutting the door on that. Uh, there was also some statistics out here. That in August, uh, U.S. soybean, or I should say China, purchased 95% less in August of U.S. soybeans. In August, they purchased 56% less of motor vehicles. And then in crude oil, their purchases dropped from a record amount to zero in two months. So we had a real good thing going there for our crude oil selling to uh, China, and that's just plain dried up. So, the, you know, this trade war... Again, I, I think that's what's going on in the stock market partially is they're finally waking up and, boy, maybe maybe this thing uh, won't be smoothed over uh, quickly enough. We won't resolve it. Uh, another interesting thing, though, is China actually purchased uh, machinery to produce uh, semiconductors for electronics production, purchased 70% more this year than last year from the U.S. And in August, uh, they showed 152% increase, but I didn't write down what what that was relating to, whether it was the prior month or the prior year. Uh, but it does show they buy something from us. And that brings in with this currency scenario that the way the currency's changed, the tariffs aren't really hitting China as much as hard as 
they could be hitting us. So uh, the China currency or the dollar versus the China currency is up 6.64%. And today, the dollar was mentioned, or I should say this week, the dollar was mentioned uh, as another factor in the lower U.S. stock market here. So we're seeing several factors coming in uh, to lower the U.S. stock market. It's not just this China stock and trade war, but also the higher U.S. dollar and higher inflations are, are just starting to bother investors. Now, to uh, flip over to, to the U.S., we did uh, see that um, today's report of that 3.5% GDP, that's a strong number. It was better than what uh, analysts were expecting. But there was pockets inside that report that was showing that there could be a little bit of trouble, a little some softness. One encouraging thing, however, the inflation rate of PCE, it's a type of inflation rate that's well watched by the Federal Reserve, was at 1.6%. And, and uh, the Federal Reserve has a goal of trying to cap inflation 2%. And that's what has bothered people. Is that why they're raising rates? Well, with today's number of 1.6%. Um, you know, that's kind of encouraged some saying, well, maybe the Fed would kind of back off here a little bit uh, on raising its rate that has got a little bit of room. And so let's kind of switch this over now to what is going on in the U.S. stock market. And yes, people become concerned just the last two weeks of this uh, quick rise in interest rates. And yes, it's partially being blamed on the Federal Reserve Act is mostly being blamed on the Fed, but the reality is the interest rate market was already poised to, to move higher. And then, of course, we had China uh, doing their thing in the Treasury notes. And by the way, Russia earlier this year dumped like 85% of their U.S. Treasury notes. So that kind of supported the interest rate market here for the U.S., uh, so there's just all these little things coming in here that's really uh, just starting to get on the nerves of investors of where where are we really going. And it does help to explain the drop, but is it truly a rational drop or are we finding any, uh, uh, any kind of floor now? And here's how I look at it. November 1st, we're going to get a, a manufacturing report uh, out of SM, SM, ISM and uh, a company called Market. So we'll get two different types of those PMIs. And what we do with those is when those indicators are above 50, uh, your economy is generally growing and at least the manufacturing is growing. You can also get these indicators for services. And so you, you can actually extrapolate that and use it to reflect GDP. It actually has a good correlation with GDP. So um, the, the interesting thing is uh, it's been quite high. We've been as high as 60 for the ISM version, and that's, that's pretty good. Uh, the higher it goes, the faster the pace of uh, economic growth. And uh, But now the question is, is it going to roll down? And, and I'm a little bit concerned maybe this report on November 1st for October uh, might show a good, good size drop in it. And if it doesn't, great, because I think the stock market is still a long-term bull market, even though, as I've said in the past, we got to start looking for a major top. we got to start looking for a coming recession. But I think it's going to be a ways off yet, uh, unless this trade war really blows up on us or interest rates just scream higher, uh, then, then I want to be in a camp of giving a little more time here before we get into a, a true bear market. So I think what we're going to see is uh, hopefully a modest um, report there on November 1st, and the market will kind of say, well, we've kind of dialed that in. And I also think the market was coming down ahead of the midterm elections, so I'm thinking it's getting should be getting low enough that regardless of how those elections come out, uh, I'm thinking they're probably going to buy the stock market uh, later in November on into December. 
And uh, so now it's just, now, now, you know, if that will occur, we're just going to be right back to questioning, is the trade war going to get worse? Is it going to deteriorate uh, economic performance, you know? And uh, so I, uh, on one hand, I'm pleased with this drop in the stock market because I kind of forecasted and uh, got out of the way of it. But I, uh, at the same time, it, 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 I didn't really want to see it take out the June low. That's a little bit of a caution flag. But uh, I, I'm going to lean on the idea that we got a little bit of recovery coming later this year. And I want to point something out. October, September and October have been famous for large drops in the stock market over the past 150 years, I think, uh, on average. Uh, they've been the worst months of the year, and November and December have been the best. So um, there's a good chance to to turn that around. I, I've also noticed some things like consumer sentiment and some of the other factors of where we measure what we're doing here in this country business-wise, that they get soft in October. It's just kind of a seasonal thing. We're kind of a and a blue mood kind of thing. And, and, and the point is now we just piled on additional information of dealing with China and these interest rates that has made it even worse. And uh, if I can just get people to settle down, my, my gut feeling is going to say, yeah, but we still got a growing economy. We still got a 3.5% GDP. That's good. And uh, so, like I say, I, I'm, I'm an optimist going into year end, but I, I really would like to see it in just the next week or two here that the stock market, uh, finds a footing and uh, we also don't see commodities uh, falling apart and we'd like to see that dollar uh, slow down that that bothers me as as well i had an objective i established back in march uh, for the dollar index to run up to 95 i think it was at like 92 or 91 when i said that and it went to 95 a little bit above it but it couldn't stay up there uh, through the entire summer it would blip above it come back below it back above it but um this week we saw saw a surge. It's it's heading for the higher of the year right again, and it makes me wonder: is uh, is it ready to break out and move a bit higher? And that's you know that can cause some problems here for commodities and um, and and they were saying it was bothering the stock market. The stock market kind of changes its mind all the time on the dollar. Some some days it wants a higher dollar and some it wants lower. But I but I but I do think recently that. Yeah, they would, they would like to see a, a lower dollar to, to just help out our business and help offset some of this uh, trade war issue, I think. Do you see the fund markets at all? I mean, depending on what the dollar does, I know it's going to have a big a big deal what it has when it comes to what the price of commodities are. But do you, do you at all see um, the funds jumping into two commodities with, with where they're at right now? I mean, like today they shot way up. They were way down yesterday and they shot back up today. I haven't done yeah. the research to see why, but, yeah, but especially if you're looking at wheat, uh, wheat got excited. Uh, there's more information of problems in Australia, two million acre uh, bushfire, and they've had issues uh, all year long. And uh, and then they're finding additional information in Europe. Things haven't gone so good, and uh, and and there's still decent demand for wheat. And so you're seeing some of these charts updated for for global stocks. Or I saw an interesting today. Uh, someone took out the U.S and took out China, I think it was, and then showed all the rest of the countries, the global stocks and wheat are just getting tighter and tighter. Um, so it got the wheat market excited. Well, then uh, Egypt uh, came in and uh, bought a bunch of wheat from uh, Russia and one or two other countries. And for the first time in a while, I believe, uh, picked up at least one cargo uh, from the US. So that's encouraged. I've been hearing some stories that we're actually competitive on wheat in terms of prices, but we're not... We're still not competitive on the freight side. 
But uh, Egypt usually will kind of just toy with us and, and, and we just don't get much business. So it was nice to see him at least pick up a cargo uh, in that tender today. Uh, so that's uh, interesting. So, so they put the weed up and that got corn excited. And even my models were saying it's time for a little blip up in corn, but I'm not so sure it's anything significant here. I'm not detecting any sign of like the fund saying, well, we really want to load up on a bunch of these commodities. If anything, they probably lightened up a bit. And the reason I say that is... Uh, in the past 30 days or something like that, some of these statistics are showing that in the hedge fund industry, investors pulled out $15 billion. While that helps explain, they might have been pulling that out because they thought the stock market was going down or got scared. But uh, most of these hedge funds are locked in. You don't get out for like 90 days. So um, that doesn't mean they can't, you know, a fund, hedge fund manager, if he sees notices coming in that people are taking money out of his fund, uh, he'll, he may go ahead and lighten up now, even though he doesn't have to give them money back. He may be protecting himself there. So there could be something else going on there. But I, I think what it really is, all year long, or even the past two years, um, the, the wealthy individuals invest in these hedge funds. I think originally they thought, if the hedge fund doesn't make me as good as the stock market, so what? Because these guys are worried about risk every day. Uh, I'll be happy with just a tiny return as long as they don't lose my money. And so it, they viewed it as something safe. Well, the point is these funds on balance have underperformed the stock market considerably. And uh, now that doesn't mean there isn't winners and big winners, but there's also some big losers. I heard of a fund today that's uh, down 28% for the year. So, uh, so there's been some issues there. And I think what's going on is some of these wealthy individuals are saying, you know, maybe um, maybe that's too much of a cost to have someone manage my money for me. Maybe I better take the risk and 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 make maybe I should have been making more all along in the stock market, in other words. So I think it's more of a strategy thing and not necessarily a worry about the economy that they pulled this money out. Now, the point I'm trying to get to is that I think that if they haven't changed the allocation between stocks, bonds, real estate, art, and commodities, then my guess is they pulled... Uh, they probably pulled uh, about $150 million out of commodities recently. But as I look at the commodity markets, they still seem rather stable to me. So I'm thinking they either didn't pull much at all out or they didn't pull any more than, say, $150 million out. And that's really actually a small enough amount here. So I would think uh, they're really more concerned over the other markets than they weren't pulling out because of commodities. But the point is, I doubt they're putting more money in right now. And uh, but after the first of the year, uh, the standard commodity fund would would be more interested in. Um, and then the, seasonally, this is a poor time of year to attract investors in commodities. So you, you've talked about the recession uh, that, that you kind of are forecasting here in the next two or three years, and, and what, what what's some of the trigger points that you think will will cause that to happen sooner than later? Yeah, I think you'd have to. Uh, Gosh, I think you'd have to really jump like that 10-year Treasury note rate up to 4%. And I think we're still at 3.1, 3.2 or something like that. Uh, so a really big jump that would really uh, unsettle the financial markets because you can hurt financial markets enough that it actually uh, will trickle backwards in, into business and, and just discourages people to do business. Uh, the other thing is that... Um, uh, I just don't want to see the consumer pull back in a major way. And I also don't want to see businesses 
just suddenly stop investing in their businesses, uh, you know, buying equipment, things like that. And that's one little thing in today's report kind of showed modest increase, I think it said, um, in manufacturing expenses or expenditures. So we do want to monitor that. As soon as we see signs of businesses just unwilling to expand or to uh, upgrade, uh, you know, spend dollars to try to go out and make new dollars, uh, but the consumer is like 70% of GDP, 70% of the economy. So uh, we really see them pull back, which right at the moment, consumer readings are high. They've leveled off, however. So uh, even when they level off or even start down, sometimes the economy grows for like another year and a half afterwards. Uh, so you can't really use it as a timing tool and say, uh-oh, the consumer's scared here. Uh, the economy's going to fall apart, you know. There's not a lot here to go on for like a quick, sudden reversal on the economy. And that's why I, I try to watch the stock market, because sometimes the stock market can be a leading indicator by six months to the economy. So obviously, there's people out there looking at the size of this drop saying, well, maybe the stock market now does think things are just going to uh, fall apart here. But I, uh, like I say, I don't think that um, I'm watching that February low in the stock market. I, I can't even remember what that low is, so I don't have a number for you. But, um, you know, if it took that out, I'd be nervous, you know, what is going on here? We got to dig deeper. We got to get some faster data in here, faster updates of why there's a problem. Uh, another thing to watch out is the PMI that I just mentioned. As soon as that goes below 50, and like I think uh, the one PMI is 54, the other PMI was probably 59. So they got some room uh, to, to drop here before going below 50. But if we see it below 50, we got a problem. Whereas in the last... Uh, uh, when was it? it was about 2012 to 2015 we had times when it would drop below 50 and i would just tell people in my opinion uh that's a buy signal in other words the stock market was falling people were scared and they just said you know the, the major trends are still up the cycles are still bullish the economy is still getting better and so that's just a, um, a correction so you buy it and it worked but i also warned back then that there would be a day when we get into the peak time time frame uh, for the most important long-term cycle I follow. Uh, I think it's even more important than super cycles, frankly. But um, that cycle, we're in that peak time frame from now to 2020. And so I'm telling myself the next time I see it drop below 50 for the PMI, uh, if I haven't already turned negative, I, I might turn negative and say, okay, now prove me wrong. Instead of, the, instead of my current stance that I'm going to try to still be positive here and prove me wrong. <laughs> so hopefully that makes sense. So watch the PMI. Got to keep it above 50. Uh, we got to keep an eye on interest rates. I, I really just, I personally just don't see a surge there that could really, really hurt the market. It would be nice if the Fed uh, would soon come out and just give some kind of soothing talk here, just saying they got to raise rates because the economy is growing. That's, that's how the system has always worked, and they got to do it. But it'd be just nice to kind of tell us, you know, they are monitoring things. If, if things start to slow down, people getting too nervous, they don't need to raise them. And they don't, really. You know, if the, if the information's there, they won't. But I'd like to see them talk about it because in this last, uh, uh, I can't remember if it was the Fed minutes or if it was the actual meeting, but, uh, they did take out that they were accommodative. Uh, all these computers now actually look, they set up programs to actually look through those Fed reserve comments and they want to compare the words from the prior month or prior uh, meeting and this time they did get a little excited that they thought maybe the fed is, is getting too serious about raising interest rates 
So it'd just be nice if they could come out saying, look, we're not going to, not going to get too carried away here because uh, the thing is that everybody expects them to raise rates in December and then they're expected for another three or four hikes in uh, 2019, which is, would be st- pretty strong. Uh, I think it'd be nice if the Fed, even if, even if they want to raise it in December, which I'm okay with, just be nice to say, well, we might not raise in, you know, in the first half of 2019 till we see uh, more information. That would just help calm the market down here a bit, you know, so... We will see. I want to see that November 1st uh, PMI report and, um, and get the elections out of the way. And uh, my gut feeling, if, if the stock market can find a footing here next week or so um, at these price levels, I'm, I'm okay with it. But uh, I want to see that February low hold. <laughs> so. so let's talk about um, we kind of we kind of hit on the interest rate thing and, and where we're at there. One thing that popped in my mind while we were sitting here talking is, what are the banks doing right now when it comes to lending? I mean, there, there seems to be a lot of activity, especially on the housing side. When you take a look around, they're, they're building housing developments all over the place. The ag sector is still kind of struggling a little bit on, on ag lending, not to an extreme like it's been, but it's kind of calmed down a little bit. So what is your feel for how, how the banks are handling lending and, and how that's working with with the U.S. economy? Yeah, I, I think the trend we've seen this year is probably still intact. I don't think bankers are necessarily timers in terms of uh, it's just the peak economy and we need to hold back now, cut our risks, we're not going to make loans. They generally don't get concerned until there's already evidence that they're going into recession. And that's a bit of a problem because they then want to wait until the economy's uh, showing signs of recovering before they want a loan when what they really should be doing is loaning during the recession to help get us out of the recession. <laughs> so, uh, so they, they don't necessarily align themselves the best with, with the economy. Uh, right today, since the economy is still at 3.5%, I suspect the banks are still uh, moving forward and trying to make all the loans they can uh, within, within reason. So I, I don't think we're seeing like a crunch here uh, that could cause some kind of financial crisis from the banker's side. Uh, the biggest thing is whether there's been too many loans made in certain areas that can be a problem uh, once the economy starts to slow down or not. Um, yeah, in the housing, actually, uh, in August, we did not have a good uh, pending home sales uh, report, but the September report uh, showed some improvement. Uh, so that's nice to see. And some of the people I follow in that sector, uh, they're, they're willing to get in line. Yeah, someday a recession's coming, and yeah, someday housing's coming down, but they they don't see anywhere near like a blowout like we saw in the, in the 2000s. They kind of feel like it'll be a, just a little bit of a correction, and, uh, and then it'll move on. And that's why I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful this whole trade war thing doesn't just really blow up into something that nobody could even fathom because uh, really this coming recession should be rather mild for most of the world and the U.S. I mean, there'll be some country that really takes a serious hit, but I don't see, I don't really see a problem for the U.S. and would like to get it out of the way because once, once that cycle is bottomed, it would then forecast seven, 12 years of economic growth. And I think we'll see the global economy, uh, do better than uh, what it's done this this decade, uh, because really the global economy has not done that well with this cycle, and uh, I think it's just fallout stuff from from the financial crisis uh, in the prior uh, decade. But I think next decade we'll see. Well, next de- yeah, next decade we will see uh, better global economy than this decade, and I think that's going to support commodity demand and commodity commodity prices even to a certain extent. 
And, uh, and, and the U.S. will continue to grow, too, whether it grows faster or not as fast as this decade. I'm, I'm not so sure, but I, I guess I don't care because we've done well enough and we've held the world up, really. And so if we can just keep it together here <laughs> and hopefully not have this trade war just go bonkers on us. Uh, you know, looking out seven to 12 years, I'm definitely an optimist. I'm definitely a bull. The problem is we got a recession uh, to get out of the way here in the next couple of years or so. What are some of the other things that you're looking at right now and that you're tracking? Um, really just trying to track these macroeconomic indicators and like, like to see the stock market get a, get a flooring here, uh, on the commodity side, we're just, we're just in that seasonal lull, you know, we've, we've harvested, even though we've produced less corn, we produced more than we thought, uh, previously, um, you know, we produced a lot of soybeans though. And so even if this trade war gets fixed, I'm not so sure soybeans are going up that much. Um, there's a bit of chatter now that the corn market might do quite well, even if China doesn't buy any corn from us. If we, if we would just fix the trade war, it could uh, do quite well. And, and, and I get where they're going with that because we've got so many soybeans that even if you get bowled up, you're just going to have to dial in you know, a limitation of how high prices can go. Whereas the corn market, you've got a tighter world scenario, tighter U.S. scenario. And now it's interesting. We're seeing you know, a tighter and the wheat scenario globally too. So, uh, so I'm rather optimistic grain prices going into next summer. Here again, we just got to get through this seasonal bottoming phase and that's going to include worrying over this trade war. But I think, uh, I think one way or another, we'll get some kind of seasonal uptrend moving going, uh, hopefully in December uh, and more so after the first of the year. So, and that's where you'll see these funds get a little more interested in the grains too. Is uh, right around December to after the first of the year. If Brazil does very well uh, weather-wise, and it looks like they are so far, um, you may not see them get excited after the first of the year. But they'll, they'll want to build a position January through March so that uh, they're they're in line for any kind of a crop issue in uh, spring and summer that they can make some money out of the upside, you know. And that'll provide some support. Um, you know, the exports, yeah, we're lagging exports, but again, I think you can blame most of that on, uh, on this trade issue, issue here. So if we could just get that resolved, I think we'd, uh, pick up there. Uh, I'm not that concerned of some of the talk of, yeah, I am, I am concerned on the soybeans lagging. I mean, I mean, you know, that can be a big one, but I'm just saying like in corn, we've seen good sales, but it's not following through. We're not moving as fast as we could. We'd like to have better wheat sales, things like that. Uh, I'm not that concerned because at least on the corn side, I think exports are only 15% of the game. And we got a, we got a healthy livestock industry going here. Um, decent economy in the moment. So uh, decent ethanol production. Uh, it's, you know, it's right on the top end. So um, I see some decent support here, especially, especially in the corn and the wheat. Soybeans, like I say, that's going to be trickier to get, get the beans higher. But you know, at the same time, the world uh, population keeps growing and people got to eat. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So Hurricane Michael came through not too long ago and um, the cotton market got affected by that. Where that came through and, and where the cotton was at, um, it really um, made a significant uh, impact on the cotton market. I mean, as far as harvest goes, anyhow. Any feel for what how that's going to affect the overall commodity markets and and, and how that's going to have a uh, my biggest fear that I have is that the price of cotton is going to go up um, and if you take a look at Oklahoma Texas and Kansas where they grow uh, stripper cotton 
there there could be some wheat acres that get more than some some wheat acres that get displaced because of the price of cotton um, which would bolster wheat prices but also um, it's going to slow the uh, the uh, <clears throat> the flow of of used combines and even new combines for that matter but do you see anything there that that would be that you're that you're following that that would kind of maybe echo some of the stuff I'm talking about here? Well, you're thinking the margin can be good enough in, in corn to, to pull away from wheat acres? No, no, cotton. Yeah, but if, if the cotton margin, uh, pulling away from cotton production? No, adding cotton production, yeah, like okay. taking wheat yeah, acres out. And, and, and yeah. Possibly pulling away from wheat. Uh, I must say, I mean, you know, the, at least the cotton futures are, are still in an uptrend since uh, early 2016. It's just, it's fascinating what occurred in early 2016. I mean, it's almost all the commodities bottomed at the same time as the stock market, as economic indicators. I mean, that was a good bottom. And, and there's some economists out there that feel like, you know, commodities were in a recession in 2014, 2015. Some even take it all the way back to 2012 or 2013. Uh, and it just makes you wonder that we turn a corner, at least for some things at that uh, time. I mean, 2016 was even low for, for corn prices. Uh, yeah, cotton has, has pulled back a fair amount right now. But, um, you know, it's still in an uptrend. I just feel like... Uh, and unless the global economy really slips off, I feel like we've had a good trend of good demand for U.S. cotton. And uh, I realize we've ramped production, we're buying it, but I, uh, I, yeah, I'm not seeing why I want to really cut a lot for the demand for cotton and why I want to, you know, I'm not going to forecast like 60 cent cotton when we're looking at 78 right now. Uh, so I think it stays up there. I think they have some decent, decent margins here. And it's interesting. The funds have liked cotton for quite a while. Okay. Even, even when we had the, the big down years in 2011, 2012, 2014, uh, they had their moments where they could pull off those shorts uh, quickly. They didn't go long. I mean, they, they recognized the supply demand is mostly bearish, but you could just tell that they, they didn't really want to stay bearish for too long. They want to make sure they didn't lose anything. And, and from that 2016 low, they really like cotton. They, they would prefer to buy these breaks. Um, so I, I'm going to call this as kind of, if it wasn't for all this geopolitical stuff and the trade war and, and, and the worries now over what's the economy doing, uh, I'd say the only reason cotton is pulled back is because it's harvest. That's what we normally do. <laughs> so, right. Oh, absolutely. But do you think that, that with what you saw happen with the hurricane and, and the damage that it did to the U.S. cotton crop, both in the, the southeast and then with the, the significant rains that we've had through Texas, Oklahoma, and Kansas here of late, could drive the price of cotton up. And then the idea being that where they do grow cotton and wheat together in, in those Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas area, that cotton could um, displace some wheat acres and they would plant more cotton acres and wheat acres that this year this coming year you see that as a possibility um somewhat i'm not so sure uh well well if you could really put prices up in the next 90 days so you give them something to think about when they're getting ready to plant the next crop uh could do it uh but at this price level i'm more tempted to think you buy about the same amount of of acres frankly and the reason i say that is you got some decent wheat prices for a change 
at least on the futures. And I granted, I, I see some areas where the basis is so bad that <laughs> that you're really not getting that good of a cash prices. But uh, you know, we've even had talk up in the end of the corn belt of some wanting to plant wheat. Um, in fact, I was talking to a farmer in Illinois the other day, and he won't be planting more. But he said there's some guys up north who were saying they were going to plant wheat for the first time in several years. Uh, but he's also not of high. He's a seed salesman. He's not high confidence that that will uh, will actually uh, work out that way. Uh, but I, I guess I'm thinking I don't see the incentive to uh, to do much more than what we've already seen on that wheat to corn acreage or wheat to cotton acreage. You know, I'm I'm going to be kind of optimistic here on, uh, on the commodity side that uh, we'll put in some kind of floor here soon and just work higher into next summer and. Um, like I say, I'm trying to be still bullish on the stock market, but this was one heck of a beating here in the last uh, few weeks. Uh, but if you look at the history of the stock market, it does things like that. And when, and the interesting thing is it does that quite often during bull markets, that it just suddenly has a, a jolt. Uh, you know, it's like they just pull the floor out from under it, and it's almost always turned out to be a nice buy. So uh, Going to try to be optimistic here, but you know we definitely got some negative things to to continue to watch. You know it's been a, an interesting year. So, all right, Rich. Well, it looks like we've covered everything that I had on my list and everything that you had on your list. So I, I appreciate you being on the podcast. And if guys want to reach out to you and and get kind of pick your brain a little bit or maybe ask you a question or something like that, what would be the best way to do that? Yeah, you could try to uh, direct tweet me, message me on uh, Twitter at uh, rich underscore possum. And uh, you can also email me directly at rich at ag-financial.com. Well, Rich, it's always a pleasure to have you on here. And you have a, you have a standing invitation to come back anytime you want. So I'll be reaching back out to you, though, for sure, uh, towards the end of the year. And uh, get, your, get your feelings for how 18 wrapped up and how 19 uh, is going to start out. So until then, Rich, take care of yourself and uh, have a good uh Good holiday season. Same to you. Thank you. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Dawson Tire and Wheel, the premier ag tire and wheel provider in North America. Get a grip. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. I'd like to thank Rich Poston for being a guest. Remember, if you want to continue any of these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. You can also send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com. You can also visit the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. Here you can find Morning Market Roundup with Chip Nellinger and Tax Moves with Glenn Birnbaum. Please visit movingironllc.com. Here you can find information for the 2019 Moving Iron Summit in Nashville, Tennessee, past and current episodes of Moving Iron Podcasts, and articles from Moving Iron Blog. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review and subscribe at your favorite podcasting platform. And you can find this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and SoundCloud. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour. Out.